0: welcome back to another episode of lessons of the woods by 10point whitetails I'm your host Dylan Porter with me I have our co-host Kyle Weber and our special guest this week Jason say of uh, wired outdoors and Jason you're from up in Pennsylvania right that
1: is correct
0: so that's officially our furthest guest to the east at this time we've gone south to Iowa now we're moving out east uh, Jason's got a lot of stuff he does he does a lot of uh, consulting in various states in the area Uh so that's kind of where I'm going to leave it off here. But Kyle, we're going to let you jump in with questions unless, Jason, you got any further introduction you want to do for yourself.
1: No, I mean, I'll let you guys get started and ask ask away and I'll do the best that I can. But um, some of your listeners out there are probably I – I run a Facebook group called Food Plots for Whitetail. that has about 130,000 members on it. That's my group. Um I've been doing food plots for 15 years. I've uh, been fortunate to shoot some really good bucks. And like you said, Pennsylvania, which you don't hear, I've, I've consistently uh, shoot some big deer the last four out of five years. I shot 154, 150, and this year I shot 165-inch. So, you know, we talked a little bit about that before the podcast. You know, it's nice. I always say to guys it's, you know, when you have somebody – it's nice when you have somebody telling you to do something, but then it's nice to know that they're killing deer too. So, you know, so a lot of things, but I'll let you guys ask away. And if you have any specific questions on background stuff, ask away, you know, I'm an open book.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Um, so the first thing I want to ask, slash talk about is, um, listening to your podcast, uh, field days, you talk a lot about what I would call micro food plots, micro plotting. Um, you mentioned you have how many on your property?
1: I have 30, I have a couple of different pieces, but one of them, it's like a 500 acre some piece. I have 30 different food plots on it.
2: And none of them are bigger than an acre?
1: Well, I do have one that's it's a little over an acre and the rest are all quarter acre, half acre size, maybe a three quarter acre here and there. Yeah, okay. But most of them I'd say the majority, you're looking at that quarter to half acre.
2: And so I love that because that's that's the strategy I've taken forward. I have on on Wits End Ridge, which is the 90 acres that I own, um, it's big hardwoods. And with a little bit of lowland, but it's big hardwoods with no agriculture, no egg, no destination food anywhere. Um, And my tactic I decided to use is microplotting. I have one that's maybe 35 yards round. I I have two, probably about that size. They're they're similar. But then I have a three-quarter acre food plot. Which is the ridge top, which is my main my main food plot, but it's still considered I would consider a small food plot. It's forty wide by a hundred long, um, and that's all I have. But that's like the main food for a lot. Dylan has been on the property. He looked around and goes, "Where's the deer eat? Where are the, what are the deer eating right now?" And I said, "Well, that's why the deer antlers are small. The deer bodies are small, and I don't have a lot of deer on the property is because yeah. of lack of food. So how come?" i mean 30 plots i mean 500 acres is quite a bit to manage as that but why did you do that strategy rather than one big five acre plot or or...
1: well i mean just the things i've found you know my terrain's really rough so sometimes it's just not feasible right you know and who wants to cut down big mature hardwoods and and things like that so i've gotten really good and i guess i'll just go back to your point and, and caution you on some things you know and and it doesn't sound like so, you know, I do a lot of consulting with people and, and they do, you know, they hear me talk a lot about micro food plotting. The only thing I'd caution you when when I do a lot of that is I do have a lot of ag around me, right? I have I have a high deer density, okay? So if if you're planting a lot of small plots and you have a high deer density, those plots aren't going to make it. So it, it sounds like you don't have a high deer density, but the goal is being that you attract and hold more deer. So yeah. you may have to really look on your property and, and what I tell guys is you may need to have one or two destination sources, right? Like the bigger two to three acres that are going to take some of that pressure off. And, and I'll give you an example. I have a, a lease over on a timber company that I, I try and do the same things. And we're really limited. I could get four or five little tiny food plots. And I'm talking eighth of an acre food plots. I shot a nice 135, 140 inch, four and a half year old buck there two years ago. And the plots were great. This year, there was no acorns. So what did those deer do? Oof. I mean, they just wiped them out. There was no, and, they, and the deer were out of there. Like they were gone. There was no food to, to hold those deer. So, you know, when when, when I talk to guys and, and a lot of guys talk to me about that, you know, when you do the, the micro plotting and use that, you do have to make something that, that can handle the browse pressure, right? It mm-hmm. sounds like right now you just don't have a lot of deer, but right. as the deer start to move in and things, you know, and I'd, I'd encourage you use exclusion cages to see, what how those plots did you'll really be able to tell like you might say oh my plots didn't grow for squat well no it was the deer just they mowed it down you know so i'd encourage you when you're testing that that you know theory and philosophy with no no ag and nothing to eat around it it scares me a little bit it's like oh man i don't know if you'll have enough food for them that you'll be able to hold them all year long. You just might mow it down and, and they might be gone, but just a little something that I wanted to, to to address when I was talking about that and and with you going and doing that, just something to consider that you may need to eventually to put in a big three-acre plot that's going to take some of that pressure off of those plots, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and actually, I mean, unfortunately, you're limited by money and resources to to clear. Um, I'm going to have a forester out there this year. We're going to talk about some logging practices, some timber uh improvement which may benefit opening it up and i have plans if i wanted to expand i go this i go north i go east you know i already have that kind of in my brain to expand yep. as much as possible but at that point it was you know money related was paying to clear three oh, i get it
1: i get well, it yeah i mean i mean i i talk and i go see clients of all kinds my favorite is when a guy says to me I bought this for whitetail and whitetail owning. I don't give a crap about the timber. I got a bulldozer and I'm not afraid to use it. That's yep. like the that's like my favorite thing. It's like, all right,
2: yep, let's get it done. Like... But
1: I, everybody has different means they have different equipment that they have uh, you know access to mm-hmm. so for some people like you it's going to be more of a process right you know it's it's going to be getting some things in you're going to learn a lot of things you know and, and and as it grows you can you can build on those things that you learn but uh yeah but it, i guess to your point everybody is different what they can and can't do so right
2: and my food plot got absolutely hammered this year it was down to dirt but um for your for your uh what you call it exclusion cage Yep. Um, so I did that. I actually fenced in my, my, uh, chestnut trees, but I still planted inside that. So I could see what was coming up and where, you know, it's, Oh, it's eight inches tall. The turnips look this big. You know, I, I was like, that's what it's looking like. But out here, this is where the deer are eating. It looks, we took some promotional photos where Dylan took photos and he made it look really good, but the food plot looked horrible. I mean, it yeah. was mowed down to absolutely nothing. Can't believe I hunted over it. Cause it, I mean they were still eating it but there was just nothing
1: yeah um
2: so it's really interesting to think about expanding but yeah you have to think about the deer herd i mean if i doubled my deer herd so i have a total of 20 deer the food plow is already being browsed over what do i do then and i know yeah. Dylan has a question regarding brows so yeah. go ahead
1: I, I got a yep. neighbor real, real, real quick can i ask kyle something just before we move on yep. so in your exclusion cage it was it was really tall like you could tell how much was there yeah. like it was, yeah it was way taller yeah, yeah. And, and that's the nice thing that's the nice thing with exclusion cages because sometimes i go and i meet with a client and they're like oh my food plot didn't grow and i'm like are you sure or did the deer well i don't really know you know so so it's good that you did that you really could see what the browse pressure was like on it
2: and i'd love to say that i did it on purpose. Like, I'd love to say that I did that specifically to yeah. do that, but I, I'm standing in my food plot, and I'm going to the left. I don't want to take a picture of it because it doesn't look good. It's not big, lush, and green, and and I can see soil. But I look inside the fence, and I go, take pictures of that because that looks really good. And you're like, what's sure. the difference? Oh, deer, browse. You don't yeah. notice when they just take nibbles all the way through as they browse through mm-hmm. your food plot. But it's significant. They, they yeah. eat a ton. That's so, right.
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Dylan, you said you had a question on that then? Yeah, I got a neighbor
0: who's kind of in a similar situation as Kyle there, but uh, he's got more deer. So he's got a 40 that is near town, near the golf course, uh, but no egg. And I live in a predominantly egg area up here. It's egg, and then you'll hunt a 40 that's got a mile of field on each side that they plant and harvest. Uh, but he doesn't have that. He's got a lot of woods around him and his deer aren't keeping up with his, or his deer are keeping up with his food plots. He's probably got 30, 40 deer on that 40 acres, and he's, him and I are both kind of wondering this, what is the best plot that you've seen that can keep up with browse? Is there, is there one that's hardier, may not be the best for him, but grows faster?
1: i mean clover you know but you don't want your whole property in clover and checker i mean i love fusion blend from white tonto i use it's my favorite perennial blend i love when i plant it i plant it with the nurse crop of oats i'm a huge believer in that i love diversity i love diversity in all my plots um but when you talk browse pressure i mean that, that would be the first thing i would say that's you know it's going to grow and you know but i've watched clover plots if your deer you know herd is is that big you got 30 40 deer on his 40 acres I mean, heck, you might get to a point that you can't plant anything big enough, that it's just gonna be gone. You know, it's it's why you always hear there are certain things that, you know, like soybeans do not, you know, I I don't plant a lot of soybeans myself, because like I said, all my plots are smaller plots. Um, So I've never really played with them, but anybody will tell you, man, if you're gonna plant soybeans, you better plant a lot because the deer, as soon as those tender, they'll come and they'll just, they'll, they'll wipe them out. So, um, you know, you have to make sure you plant a lot. So that, that's a lot of deer and, and, you know, on a small piece of acreage, they're eating something though. Is he holding them all year long? Are they staying there all year long?
0: He's holding them a lot this winter. Uh, but he said during the summer, they kind of go away with what he'd really like is to just get them in there in October, you know, for, yeah. for hunting season. And I don't, I, I don't know if that's necessarily such a feasible way to do it. I told them you got to plant some trees that are going to drop their fruits, you know, that end of September to yeah. to October.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, clover and stuff, you know, again, I'm talking Pennsylvania, right. And I always tell guys from different States to take what, what one guy's doing on one state, but you, I think you guys probably both know, you know, food plots here. I've shot my biggest bucks in the first week of season. Some of my easiest hunts, those deer have been on the food plots starting in September they were patterned. I went in and I killed them that first week. And it's been a great way for me to hold and and, and kill deer. But then we get into every year when those acorns drop, the food plots are done. They're mm-hmm. done for two weeks. They're gone. They're gonna lay, they're gonna stand up and eat. They're gonna lay back down. They actually eat acorns till they get sick. This year, we didn't have acorns in Pennsylvania. My food plots all year long. And I got ag all around me, but I strategically set my food plots up at, If at any time possible. It's a big deal for me is can I get between the bedding and the destination, right? Can I get between where they're going, that they're gonna come earlier, right? So mm-hmm. when I can shoot them, cause they're gonna end up out in the destination, especially the bigger bucks, right at dark. So man, my, all my property, I don't have any ag. I got ag surrounding me, I got all the cover. So mm-hmm. like, if you give me my choice and what I want in a piece of property, I walk in, it's like, yeah, man, I'll figure something out. Like I'll take all that cover all day long, every day, and mm-hmm. then get a bunch of food plots in between and stuff. But, you know, like what you guys are talking about when there's no ag and there's not a lot to eat, He, you know, he's got a longer term problem. And I think you're exactly right and plant some some mass trees and and things like that that are going to because your food plots are going to last. You know, clover and stuff's all year long. Deer will eat clover here all through the winter. Um, It's a great, great blend that will attract deer. Um, But, you know, you get a real dry summer. Clover struggles through the summer and stuff and and things like that. But um, but yeah, I mean. I love that if I was going to pick one to to withstand the browse pressure, that's it. And it might not even be enough based on the deer density and lack of ag around you, you know, might not even be enough. Yeah, I think he said he's three or four
0: miles from the next big field.
1: Yeah, you guys are going to learn a lot of this. A lot of it's you're going to learn, right? And and I learn every year, you know, like this was one of the only years we didn't have acorns. And I saw 12 to 15 deer every single night, all, all archery season long. And that's never been that way. Beginning of season, yeah, man. Gangbusters, acorns drop, they're gone. You see one or two deer a night, and then get get close to the right, you start seeing those those deer again. This year it was, man, that's a great year. Of course, I had to hunt 70 days to kill the buck because I screwed up on him the first day of archery and, and yeah. hit him and didn't get them. But uh that was my own fault. But you learn something every year on what what you're, because like I told you about that timber lease, right? And I'm thinking, man, I got this figured out. I plant these four little plots and they do well. And we shoot one early season. Well, this year we didn't have acorns and that stuff was gone before season even started, you know, like it it, it never even grew. So every year is different and you learn as you go. And, and that's the only thing I can say is they'll just, but I think your idea of planting some, some apple trees, some chestnut trees, you know, and things like that are, are definitely going to help them. It's more of a, a long-term solution to maybe hold those deer earlier in the season.
2: Yeah, and, you know, when we talk about acorns, I had that happen to us this year, was the opposite. We had the best acorn drop I think we've ever, ever had, and for two to three weeks, the deer were gone. It was, it was right after they went hard horned. I had a healthy bachelor group, six different bucks kind of sticking together, and I'd have Montreal trail camera every day. They were homebodies there, and I was in poof, they were gone. And for three weeks, I didn't have any any antlers, any bucks, and I had nothing. And I was freaking out. Maybe they moved. Maybe I couldn't keep them here. And, you know, they ran out of acorns, and then a few of them showed back up. Some of them went another way. Um, and that's how I ended up with Ace, was because he came back to my property, which he must have felt safe. So, But we had a ton of acorns, and they were gone. <laughs> so... Um, But my food plot struggled because of the browse. And I don't have a big deer population. I had maybe 12, 15 deer routinely visiting, Um, which compared to both of you, that's not much at all. But um, my browse was hard. So now this year we're going to frost seed, which I think Jason's, I think you enjoy it, uh, frost seeding. Um, I do. I'm gonna try to do that this year with clover. And chicory to ev- to help with the browsed issue. Um, so my question to you is this: Right now I'm under four feet of snow on my food plots, but I'm having the freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw right now. 40s for highs, freezing for lows. You know, 15, 20 degrees, but I can't frost seed at four feet of snow. So, for other people, I'm I'll tell I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. For other people any recommendations let's eat let's say they don't even have four feet of snow they're frost seeding how how can they do that
1: yeah i'm i'm a i'm a firm believer and i I don't i've never tried to frost seed in a lot of snow like i've had people say oh it don't matter you can and i I don't buy that i feel like that snow does the seed even getting down to the ground i just don't trust it now i have frost seeded many many times I had a guy the other day, it's always funny because you'll get guys who don't know you and they'll come in in the group and I put a picture of some seed on my boots. It was snow and the guy commented, pissing in the wind, putting your seed down like that. And then I posted like four pictures of my frosty plots. I'm like, (laughs) I got about a million pictures to say a different story. And uh, he didn't say anything after that. But to me you know, a lot of people jump the gun. I see in February, like, you know, cause we always get that first thaw and people are like, Oh man, I'm, I got to get out. and I got to frosty. Cause it's all about the freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing. I'm more, I'm more sold on the fact it's more about seed soil contact, you know, mm-hmm. it is, is, and, and I think you can frosty with a little bit of snow on the ground, you know, an inch a couple inches. But for me, I wouldn't do it more than that. It just doesn't make sense to me. I know I've heard people say, Oh, you know, you can do it with, I've never tried that, so I can't say it doesn't work, but I don't really trust that. So what always has worked for me, I just got done frost seeding, and I watched people in my state that frost seeded a month ago. And I just kind of chuckle. I was like, "Ah, I'm just going to sit here and wait. And I think I did it, you know, pretty much the perfect time. Had a little wee, just a little wee bit of snow on the ground perfect time. It is freezing and thawing, but I've done it later. I've done it later where, I mean, we were out of that freezing thaw, but nothing had sprouted yet. I think it's more important of getting in the ground because you want that clover, because you're going to fight weeds, right? You know, like weeds are going to come up. So to me, you want to get that clover started so it can get up ahead of those weeds. Right. And and so to me, it's more seed soil contact than anything. And that can even be after the freeze thaw, freeze thaw, freeze thaw. Um, But you do, you know, you don't want to go out there. I see guys all the time. They'll ask, they think now, frost seeding that they can just go out and do a hay field that was in a hay field the last eight years. And they think, oh, I'm just going to go out and put some seed on have a great looking food plot. And they want to do the minimal amount of work possible. And it's like, that's not how it works. Right. You know, and, and, and so for as far as your answer and what I tell guys, I'm a firm believer it's more getting some good seed soil contact. I think the freezing and thawing absolutely helps, but I have. Technically, I don't think you could call it frost seeding at that point because there's many times where I miss that one and I just call it overseeding, you yeah. know, or I want to just overseeded it into into bare dirt before everything got started and, and have had great success. So um, so I, I think that answered your question of, of what you were looking for.
2: Yeah. And and, and overs. I like this. I like the statement of overseeding. So you can overseed your perennial plot or you or reseed your perennial plot or overseed it last year's annual. My food yeah. plot in my opinion, last year was an annual. So I'm going to have, and it was beat up. Lots of soil exposed, lots of holes, lots of tear up from the deer. So once I get to it, once the four feet of snow is gone, I'm going to overseed with clover and chicory and, yeah. and hopefully get that ground contact, seed to ground contact, and hopefully have a beautiful browse-tolerant food plot. That's my goal. And then I'll have food from here, tell hunting season, I hope.
1: So yeah, now I'll give you, you know, again, keep in mind this is Pennsylvania, but, um, you know, when you're talking about, so I frost seed all my, any annual that's set to rotate, right? So if I've planted an annual two years in a row, we need to rotate that. Mm-hmm. So any plot I have like that, I will frost seed that and attempt to establish that in the clover because that, save, that saves me taking the disc in, taking my chisel plow, taking all the equipment. It's set to rotate. Like you said, I can have, you know, browse all summer long and feed for them. Um, but I found like when you do an annual plot, that w- it, it, frost seeding always works for an exist, existing clover plot, right? It's going to make it more full. Like, it, it, you know, if it was really bad the year, it might not save it. But most of the times, you know, frost seeding into an existing clover plot is going to be successful, going to fill in bare spots, it's going to make it more full. Frost seeding into an annual plot is is a 50 60% roll of the dice you know because you sure. got to think there's a lot of variables you know you haven't soil tested or limed or fertilized for that yet for for, for clover there's just a lot more things that can go wrong but sure. I have been successful about 50 60 percent of the time of doing that and if I haven't then it's set to rotate then I didn't lose anything other than the seed that I put down and I just um, replant it in the in, in the fall. And what I say with clover and stuff, and I get that question a lot, people ask me, man, I want to have something in there now that the deer can eat all summer long. I used to kind of think the same way, but the thing I found here in the Northeast with perennials is trying to establish them. I used to think, oh man, I can, I got these 30 food plots. Well, I can plant half of them in in the spring and then get to the other half and it'll be a lot easier. And I started doing that with all my perennials. Well, what I found was I did more work fighting weeds all summer long. Mm. I did more work. They didn't seem to establish as well as if I planted it in the fall for the next year because you fight the drought of the summer that really a lot of times stunted that growth and it wasn't established well enough in the spring that, man, it was just a constant battle. And I just found that for me, the sweet spot, if I ever need to plant a perennial plot from scratch, I'm going to plant that in the fall with a nurse crop of oats and it's going to be better established for me going into the next year than what it was by planting that in the spring. Again, that's the northeast. So, you know, it may be a little bit different for you, but I don't think we're that much different in climate and what we get as far as droughts and dry spells in the summer and stuff. So you'll find Man, it's great. We got this. Oh, we established it. It's growing. But now you're going to fight weeds and you're going to need to spray them. You know, as soon as that clover is four or five inches tall, you're going to need to hit it. You know, I don't know if you used a rest and slay, but cleft and and those kinds of things for broadleaf and and things like that. You're going to need to spray it when it gets four or five inches tall because you are going to be fighting weeds. Then I'm a huge proponent. I, I mow throughout the summer. And I might have to spray them one more time just just to fight weeds based on what you're seeing. So when you're doing 30 plots like that, that ended up being a lot of work. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm planting it new, I'm just doing it in the fall. So
2: Um, so just to backtrack to what I'm going to do, I actually, well, when this posts, it'll be past tense. But I'm actually going to take a skid steer, park on the highway, and I'm going to plow my road into my parking spot. And then I'm going to plow up my... My little four wheeler trail and I'm gonna to try to remove four feet of snow with the skid. Okay. Steer. I'm gonna to try to yep. get you know, down to a foot or down to six inches. It'll be packed because of the skid steer, but hopefully that sun melts it down and I can get during the freeze thaw phase and I wanna get that seed down, even though I'm gonna have snow banks, because I'm gonna have snow banks till May. Yeah. All seriousness. I'm gonna have snow banks at my house and on my land in May. Yep. So if I wait till I can get there, I'm gonna have a very short a shorter growing season. You know, you just yeah. mentioned that you're you doing frost seeding now or have done it. I'm a month and a half away. So yeah. I'm going to try to expedite that with machinery because I have that as a resource. I'm going to remove as much snow as possible, then let the sun do its thing. And when I get to a good freeze-thaw, soil-exposed situation, I'm going to get in there and uh, frost seed with clover yeah. So yeah. that's my tactic for that. But for for the listeners that don't know you mentioned arrest and slay yep. now, i have used both of them but if you can with your experience explain what both of them do to a clover chicory plot real quick yep. that'd be awesome. yep.
1: yeah so arrest and slay are they're, they're not going to kill your clover they're going to kill the weeds that are growing that are competing with your clover so arrest is going to kill your grasses and i don't this is all i've ever used there are when I, when I say this, everybody's like, oh, you can get it a lot cheaper. And what people need to understand, Whitetail Institute sells a rest and Slay, and there are generic brands of those, but you have to buy them in like a gallon, right? Like you have to buy, and and you don't need that much, like Slay, for instance, which kills broadleaf, you need very little. So a lot of people have two or three plots. You can't have a gallon of that sitting in your garage. It, it loses its effectiveness over the years. So I always tell guys, yeah, man, it's because people are like, oh, they're ripping you off. They're really not. It's meant for the guy that has two or three plots, which is most guys that are like mm-hmm. a quarter, yeah, a quarter acre to a half acre. It's gonna be more economical because you're just gonna throw that stuff out because it's it's gonna stop working for you. You know, nobody wants to store their chemicals in their house and temperature control or anything like that. So that's what is kind of behind that. But you have arrest, which is gonna kill grasses. So, and you can do these at the same time. You can mix them all at the same time. Slay is going to kill your broadleaf. If you go into your plot and you don't see any broadleaf weeds, then you don't need slay. You know, you just need to see, oh, I got a bunch of grasses in here. So you're going to use the rest. I I always use the surfactant, like uh, the Surefire Crop Oil. Mm -hmm. People don't know what that is. That's going to make it stick. You're going to get a better burn on your stuff. Um, But I'll mix that all in, in one sprayer. And I'll spray that clover plot when it gets four or five inches tall, you know, because you're going to need to. Because eventually those weeds, especially when you're frost seeding and trying to establish it as a new plot, you are going to be fighting weeds for sure. So you need to get it sprayed at that four or five inch process just to maintain those weeds and make sure your clover has the best chance.
2: Yeah. So that's after you frost seed and like you're saying, four or five inches, you treat it. I would call it treating the food plot. And then at what point do you mulch? When when you look at
1: that and go, I need to mow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess I'll go back as far as mowing and the spraying. So I'll tell a guy, let's say you have a food plot and you don't have any grasses or weeds or hardly any. Say let's say you let's say you have very few grasses. Well, don't freak out, because you can you can manage those just with mowing. Right. Like when you want to spray is when you see a significant amount of grasses and broadleaf showing up. That's like, hey, yeah, man, this is this is getting out of control. I need I need to spray this. But if you don't see that and you're seeing, hey man, this is all man, it's 90% clover. I wouldn't spray. You can manage that with mowing, you know, and mowing to me, I love mowing. Now, last year we had a drought. So people always ask me, when should I mow and how often should I mow? And that's, that's an unbelievably subjective question right you know it really depends you do not want to mow your clover plots if they're stressed if you don't have rain in the forecast you do not want to mow your plot you know your clover plots you want good rain in the forecast you do not want to kill those clover plots so for me you know last year we had a drought i didn't mow my clover plots at all the year before i think i mowed them four or five times throughout the summer so you know it is one of the best ways and I enjoy mowing too, right? Like I actually, you know, for some guys I like, and I, I there are times where I had to learn to put my mower away and clearing stuff. Because one of the best things I learned with whitetail is just let, just let stuff grow, man. Just let it, let it get gnarly, let it grow, put that mower away. But with your, your clover plots, man, when, when they, you know, when, when they need mowing, you see those flowers, those flower heads starting to turn to the brown seed. That's the perfect time, you know, go in there and take the tops off. That's going to re-germinate. Um, just the most – of. Def- I think mowing is even more effective at establishing and maintaining those clover plots than spraying them. It's just, okay. you know, if you give me one thing, if I had to give up one or the other, I'd give up spraying before I'd give up mowing.
2: And in your, in your podcast Field Days, which I've been listening to, you mentioned the fact that some people say, well, the deer eat weeds too. Deer don't know the difference, blah, blah, blah. But your point is, I have a five- or six-year-old perennial plot that's doing great. And if you don't maintain it, yeah, you're, you might be good for the first year. might be good for the second year. You might get three out of it. But if you want five, six years on, on a return on your investment of that work, you
1: got to yeah. maintain it. I, I would say this, and this is in PA. We may be weedier than you guys. If I don't do anything to maintain that clover plot in a year, I'm getting a year out of it. Maybe, probably not two. You know, yeah. because I always tell guys and guys give me a hard time because they see my pictures. Right. Like I have beautiful pictures of food plots, no weeds. And you'll see deer eat weeds, too. Don't need to look like I don't do that for pictures. Right. Because it's like I say to every guy, what do weeds do? If you let weeds go and you don't care about weeds, then why don't you just mow and let a weed field grow? Well, you know right. what I'm saying? Like you mm-hmm. can just 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 get over once you'll have a whole thing of weeds and a deer can eat it. We plant it. Because we want that stuff to grow and what do weeds weeds compete with that. So yeah, you do not want weeds in your food plot. It's not about pretty pictures and usually when I say it's a guy he doesn't have much to say after that. But sometimes you got and there's that whole thing and I think it's just you have a group of guys who want to put in minimal work, right, and think that they're doing it just as good as you are. And mm-hmm. I never try and belittle a guy was like, hey, if your way's working, man, and you don't ever do anything and the deer are hammering your weeds, awesome. That's not how it works for me, <laughs> you know. And for me, weed control is not about pitchers. It is about you planted that food plot for a reason because what you planted, you want to grow, and what are weeds going to do? They're going to take over. They're going to compete with that. You don't want that.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, no, and that I love that because, and I like your point about uh, your food plots being half annual or half perennial, and you rotate, and you're kind of giving them a buffet of food to eat. And, and Dylan's point with having deer at his neighbor's um, at the right time. Yeah, clover's there all year round. They can eat it. It ends, for me, around January when the snow pack's too deep. I mean, we're talking two, three feet, so... They can't get down that far. They stop trying to dig that far. But if you can plant annuals that are maturing already during October when you're hunting or during September when you're hunting that you can do that with a perennial, here's the food all year long, but here's an annual that's kind of timed out or targeted towards a specific time to be hunting. Or that's yeah. how I feel at least.
1: Yeah. No, you made a, a great point. And we all know like, we love hunters, right? We love talking hunting, but there's no more group that will rip each other apart if you don't do it their way, right? I mean, we just we we destroy each other and, and, and it and it drives me crazy because there's different ways to be successful and there's this whole new movement that the only way to plan a food plot and be responsible is to do it with a drill or the only way to plant a food plot is to do, and and Jeff Sturgis is great, is to do the the buckwheat and the crimping. And if you don't do that, you're a horrible steward of the land and the soil's all gonna die and you're ruining everything. It's just not the case. There's different ways to do things and be very successful at it. And for me, I'm not gonna get a drill to 90% of the plots that I do. It's it's just not feasible. Um, The buckwheat method rolling and crimping, I mean, that's a lot of spraying. That's multiple, multiple trips over and over. I plant a lot of food plus I just I can't go do all that. So yeah. I'm not saying those methods aren't good and they do things, but I think you can accomplish the same thing in what you talked about and you said. I'm a huge proponent of diversity. And 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 people say, Oh, you know, there's two main reasons for that. One is if I had, if I could, people ask me all the time, hey, what's the best thing I can plant to kill one in the first week of October? Well, I have general things, but if I knew that answer, I'd be a billionaire, right? Like, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be different every year. And just like we talked about before, how different this year was for me with no acorns than it was every other year. I mean, the deer were eating my turnips, eating the brassicas themselves at the beginning of October this year. That has never happened before here, never. And so, like, you could never predict that or say it. So like for me, having a smorgasbord in that food plot for them, diversity has always worked really well for me. But then even more importantly, you know, if I have a quarter acre plot or bigger, I love to plant it in sections, right? So I can put one section is in an annual, the other section was, is in a perennial. So for two years, we have annual on one side, perennial on the other, then you know, after two years, we got to rotate that into a perennial. So you might have the whole plot in a perennial for a year or two, but then, in four or five years or three years, you can rotate that perennial side and you're practicing good soil management. You're not beating that soil up that's in a perennial for four or five years. You're letting it go. That soil's doing great. Then you have an annual over here. You only do it for two years and then you're in a perennial. That has worked great for me. And my soil, the same plots I've been planting for 15 years in, if anybody will tell you, Pennsylvania soil, I'm planting on strip mine ground, that (laughs) there was barely any topsoil and people see my plots. And they're like, and it's, I practice good soil management. So there's different ways to do different things. And I feel like planting that diversity and planting in sections really has given me a way to be really responsible and not beating the heck out of my soil every year with a tiller and tilling it five times. And and I tell guys that, you know, like I, I learned my lesson with the tiller. I had some bad experiences but they can, they're effective if you use them right. You know, like if you use them, like I never tell guy, okay, you got a tiller now you can't plant food plots cause you're not being responsible, but you have to be careful on how you use it and stuff. So we get so hung up on, on this is the only way to do it. And you're a horrible person if you don't do it my way. And it's just, it's just not the way it is. And, and for me personally, practicing that good soil management, rotating those, that's been extremely effective.
2: And in finding what works. Like you, you have experience for this year when you had no acorns, you would re if this was your first year doing it, you'd be rethinking how you did everything based on your food plot production and the deer browse, not this year, yeah. but years yeah. before that having that experience of knowing acorns, you, you kind of mesh all that together and realize what works where, yeah. I'm in my first year on the property. What I did, which was three different annuals, three different brands. I I spread it out. I'm like, let's just, let's just see what kind of mess we can make. And I got to compare and I went, okay, that worked, that didn't work. And the one that did work was right in front of the tree stand at 25 yards, right where I wanted to be. Now This year we're going to re okay. Browse was too much. Let's replan that. Let's get some more browse tolerant food plots out there. So it's a process of learning it and learning specifically what your property, what your county, and what your region does. Just because yep. something works for you doesn't mean it'll work for me. It doesn't mean it'll work for Dylan.
1: It yeah. doesn't
0: mean it'll work across the road. Yes. That's all right. Yeah.
1: And 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 that's and and I think, you know, what guys need to to understand, and, and that's one reason I say diversity, because even though I know a lot, I've hunted my particular uh, property that I have, I've had it for like eleven years now this year was was completely different but I was prepared for it right because I had diversity in I had diverse things I I can't tell you how many guys say to me man the deer hammered my braskas I'm playing everything in braskas this year and 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 then it didn't work that way the next year you mm-hmm. know because you can't really predict so like to me like, IT'S AND YOU GUYS ARE 100% RIGHT IN WHAT I WOULD SAY, YOU KNOW, AND YOU GET IN AND EVERYBODY'S SITUATIONS ARE DIFFERENT, I HAVE A LOT OF LAND WHERE, YOU KNOW, DIVERSITY IS ALWAYS GOING TO BE THE KEY FOR ME, LIKE I'M ALWAYS GOING TO PLANT A LOT OF DIFFERENT THINGS, Um, BUT WHEN YOU HAVE LIMITED AND YOU ONLY HAVE THREE PLOTS THAT ARE GETTING MOWED DOWN, YOU MIGHT NOT HAVE THAT OPTION ON SOME THINGS, AND WHAT WORKS FOR YOU IS GOING TO BE DIFFERENT, BUT I'LL ALWAYS BE, if IF YOU CAN GET DIVERSITY IN, man, you know, and I can't tell you how many guys I talked to that, man, the deer didn't touch my brassicas this year. And it's like, plant them again, plant yep. them again next year. And 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 they might say, oh, they didn't hit them again. Do it again. Because once they do, and once they figure them out, man, it is like candy to them. It's like crack yes. cocaine, and, and they will be all over them. But it might take you a year or two, and people are like, oh, you're full of it. But I lived it. I remember calling White-Towns, and I'm like, those deer didn't touch, I, 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 you know, basketball-sized turnips, and they ate the tops a little bit, and they're like plant them next year. And I'm like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Well, sometimes they got to figure it." out. I go, "Man, I watch deer eating bark off a tree. You're telling me they can't figure out what a turnip is?" <laughs> and 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 literally, like the next year, I planted them, and it was like clockwork. Man, my buddy, we do flintlock muzzleloader hunting here, which is you guys probably have never done it. We're the only idiots in the country that do it.
2: I, I haven't done it, but I watched a video on it, and I think it is the coolest thing ever.
1: It, it it's it's I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. But you just never know. My buddy missed the same deer four nights in a row with his flintlock muzzleloader that was coming to turnips. Like it didn't even care. It was that much. But uh, but no, I mean so. And, and I guess back to the original point is it is different for everybody. Um, but if you do have the option of of being diverse, not only for attracting deer because you don't know what's going to work each year, but then managing that soil, right? Like I had a guy told me he's been just clover for 15, 20 years. I said, that's not good either. You know, like Mm -hmm. you don't want to do that. You know, you got a lot of nitrogen, you know, like that needs to to be rotated and that's going to be the best thing you can do for your soil. So diversity for me is it's a lot about the the main part of it is more soil management than anything. But then also just you don't know what the deer are going to key on that this year. And hopefully you have something that they want
2: right well and so three points real quick and then i'll, I'll give it to dylan sorry dylan um, i'm
0: enjoying this <laughs>
2: <laughs> so diversity i think is super important I, I only have three plots and one's an eighth of an acre or last one's three quarters of an acre and one's an eighth of an acre Perfect. but they're all three be different they're all going to be different and the big one's going to have to be split in half basically um that way what happens if i have a nice deer that i want to shoot or target but he's only coming to this one plot because that's he likes that plot. Whatever's in there, he likes. But he doesn't need to go to the big one because he doesn't. You know, I mean, you'll you'll cue in that he oh he goes to this super early, but only comes to the clover plot by by nightfall. You know, so yeah. diversity. of Them three, even though it's just three plots, them three are going to be completely different, so that I know what they're looking for. We we'll see where their pressure is. Um, yeah. Second second point was. Uh, we can feed right at our house here, and you can feed up to two gallons. And I feed a pellet that's got everything they could ever want in it, right? And it's easy, it's easy to digest, it's easy, palatable. Um, I'll still sit there and watch the bucket full of pellets. And the deer are not eating on branches, right? 20 feet away. Because they yeah. really want to spread out. The best thing for them is in that bucket. And that, that, trust me, they eat every bit of it. But that bucket's full of what they need and what they want but yet three of the deer will stand on a tree and, and eat that nub off that branch and chew on that branch because they need diversity they need different stuff throughout a day jason what's your favorite food
1: perennial or annual no i'm your oh mine. oh pizza. <laughs> it is you'll laugh at this peanut butter pancakes with peanut butter on them Ooh.
2: fine banana too no banana okay okay well, then my peanut butter maple
1: syrup the whole bottle of maple syrup and peanut butter on my pancakes I, i'm on board with that nice but if
2: you <laughs> ate that for breakfast lunch and dinner 365
1: days a year would you still like it i might but i lost 60 pounds i was getting heavy i saw in a video i'm like i gotta lose weight so like every like Three or four days, I'll go and have peanut butter pancakes at Perkins, but it'll be my only meal for the day. Like I, I won't eat anything else. Like I'll, I'll treat myself, but I won't eat anything else. But I don't think I could eat it every day.
2: <laughs> but you know, so they want different stuff, and even if the best thing for them is right in front of their face, they're still gonna chew on a woody browse. They're still going yep. to eat a turnip. They're gonna eat some clover. They're gonna eat. They, they want different stuff throughout the year, but even on a daily basis. So. Yep. If you were to plant just one thing through all of your food plots, it's you're going to, they're still going to go eat woody browse. They're still going to travel and look for other things. So if you can give them the buffet, why not? You
1: know? Yeah. Yep. And I I guess the
2: third point was, but
1: well, let me, I just, I want to say one thing because I do have a lot of guys that say that to me that consult and stuff. And I agree with you on your eighth acre plot. That's that's a smaller plot. I'd put it all in one thing, but your quarter acre, um, to me, you know, when when I go and look at a guy's property, I say I believe in diversity, but I'm a little bit different than what you said. I believe in diversity within when when it's possible within every plot, and I'll explain the the reasoning why I have that. But like, if I have a chance to put a quarter acre or bigger, I want to put an annual and perennial any chance that I get. And my reasoning is because what you said was. We don't know what that buck's going to be keying on at certain times. So say your Clover plot's out on the edge of the property where it's his destination source or whatever. He's not going to get there till dark. But if you have a plot that's right there near the thick stuff, that's something that he wants at the time he wants. He's going to come there in daylight hours. To me, diversity ups your odds of getting that big buck in there in daylight hours when you want him in there, you know? And, and that's why I told you, even with my clover and, and my fusion plots, if I plant a new one, I put oats in with it. And again, that's just, and I've seen where that's what the deer were eating at the particular time of year. They were coming and just whacking the oats, you know, and, and things like that. I shot a big 150 inch and, a, and it was a, it was probably a little less than a quarter acre. And I had oats and, and that's what he was coming to eat. And it was near the bedding area. And man, I patterned him and I went in and I killed him. But you know eighth of an acre you're, you're right like that's really hard but even in that quarter acre plot man I'd split that sucker and and any chance you get when it's big enough I would put it in in sections and plant diversity because I think you up your odds of getting that big guy there in the daylight hours when you want him It's just sure. it's just my opinion and it's what's, it's what's worked well for me
2: no and that I mean even even on the eighth acre plot it's it's a blend of some sort you know so it's not that's just,
1: right
2: it's not sure. Just, one clover it's a blend of stuff but you know yes i i I open one bag up and that's what goes on the eighth acre but your point is opening two separate different blends for acre uh food plot number two and then food plot three or or if any chance you can get
1: yeah yeah i I I totally agree with that yep yep perfect though
2: okay all right dylan i'll shut up I no, could, this I is. Go, I could go <clears> six <throat> hours, ten hours on this. This is. This is good
0: <laughs> info. I'm just trying to figure out how to frost seed at my dad's, but I don't. I don't think we have that opportunity because we have not quite as much snow as Kyle. But uh, there is no way to move snow out there. And as soon as the sun hits the soil, we're talking yeah. goopy muck that you can step down. You sink eight inches before, and you hit frost, and you can't hardly walk out there.
1: Yeah, so, that's rough. I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd tell you guys, you know, and again. This a little, you know, like we 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 could still get snow. I mean, we've had snow in, in May here before, which is rare, but um, you know, again, I think what it comes down to, to me is more of the seed soil contact. If you get a dry day and you get that snow and you can get that seed on that dirt before stuff sprouting, mm-hmm. I think you can be successful. So I know Kyle, you talked about going and doing a whole crap load of work, right? Like removing all that snow. I mean, I'll be interested, I want to see how you did, and then I'd like you to try next year and say, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait till it melts, because when it melts, there's not going to be any stuff growing yet. Like, you know, when it melts, so if you can get in there when it's down to an an inch or whatever and seed that, I think you'd be good. I do. I I mean, it would be interesting to hear and might save you a ton of work, but I want you to do it your way this year see how it see how it goes yeah. and then maybe try, try it the, the, the next year because like i said before i believe you know for both you guys if you can find that sweet spot when that snow gets down to about you know an inch and get in there and, and seed it i i think you could still be really successful so the,
2: the only thing i think i'm gaining from all of this work that i'm going to do or did past tense is just extending the growing season extending the the green up
1: Mm-hmm. But I guess I guess my question on that would be is if there's still snow on the ground there's nothing growing yet anyway right I mean for the most part for the most you know part, like yeah,
2: you are, yeah, you, are you know the that's, soil, soil temperature still
1: is too low yeah. to germinate so that's why I'm like man just just wait till that sucker melts at least (laughs) way down instead of killing yourself. But No, I want you to go do it because I want to see how it goes for you. But, you know, just just some of my experience where people have really got hung up with, I mean, I got to get out there to start time. I've I've done it really late before when the freeze and thaw was done and it was just, but you're right, like Dylan, what you said too is if you don't get it and it's, it's, it's goopy, but hopefully you still have a night where it freezes and you get out there first thing in the morning. Don't go Mm -hmm. out in the middle of the day, you know, get there first thing in the morning where it still froze and see that, um, you know, I think he could be just as successful in doing it that way. Just, that's my opinion. <laughs> yep. No well, lie.
0: I'll give it a shot. I'll see if I can't find a, a – dad's got a bunch of plots either inside or outside his, you know, deer farm, but finding one that doesn't have corn or something, you know, dead, dead on it from last year is going to be the tricky part. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yep. I'll give it a shot. I think it could yep. be fun. Cool. It would be fun to see if it works out there because he's got what's called what, – what's locally called cold bottom soil. So okay. you know, normally up here and probably down there, maybe down there too, they say, you know, your corn's gonna be good if it's knee high by fourth of July. Well yep. he, if he plants it to be knee high by fourth of July nothing grows, normally it's knee high by like August third.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty yeah. it's
0: pretty bad up pretty bad on yeah. some of my dad's pieces, but
1: it'd yeah. be and, it'd and be like fun to said, see. You know, my way maybe it's different. You know, I'm just I'm giving you guys what my experience is here in Northwest and it may may not work for you, you know. It's just it's a little bit different. But, you know, I've like I said, I've I've done it late when the freezing and thawing was gone and it was just about getting that seed on the ground before mm-hmm. the weeds start, you know, catching that small window that you have before that warm up and it starts greening up, you know, like I th- I think you could still be successful. So I'm gonna give it a shot.
0: I think it could be fun. Yeah, cool. Uh, it,
1: and it is awesome when it works out because you do all this work for food plots, right? You're spraying, you're disking, you got the tractor in there. Literally, this is, you go out, you're literally yeah. done in, in five minutes, right? Like, it's like, then it grows like, hot damn, man. <laughs> like, I to do this all the time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so. Absolutely. And it's all about putting feed out for the deer, uh, especially, you know, in Kyle's situation. My situation is not quite the same. We got a lot of egg around, but when there's no... Food source—it's hard on your fawns. It's hard on your does. You know, having good healthy fawns—it's hard on your bucks' antler growth, and it just makes everything so much harder when all they can eat is underbrush, yeah, if they can even find that. Sure. So that's yeah. that's something we push sure. a lot. Feed your deer. Feed as much feed, yeah. feed, feed as much as you can when you can. Uh, yeah. But while we got you here, we're kind of narrowing down on time. But I got a couple of questions that always intrigues me when we get somebody on from out of state. Um, what? Uh, So you've shot a few really nice bucks on your land, but what, uh, what management practices do you implement as a landowner as far as trying to get your bucks to be big, mature bucks?
1: Okay. So the first one's really easy, and I think this is applicable everywhere. Don't shoot the two-and-a-half and, and three-and-a-half-year-olds. Thank you. Let, Why does nobody listen when go. we say it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I have guides all the time every year oh, i'm gonna hold out i'm gonna hold out i can't i mean if you saw some of my videos of some of the bucks i passed this year because i knew i had a, a big one i mean people were flipping out right and it's like you're not you're not gonna shoot the big one if you if you keep shooting the smaller ones and they're not gonna get big if you keep mm-hmm. shooting them one or two and a half three and a half years old so i i try not to um how do i say this i don't i don't go out there and bash other hunters i always say shoot what makes you happy Mm -hmm. but then don't complain right if if all your if you're if you and your whole family is going out and whacking every two and a half year old eight point and then you're complaining that that's all you're shooting and i don't want to hear it right you know and and if you ask me like you did i'll give my opinion if you ask me and a guy asked me like hey what do i need to do to shoot big mature deer well don't shoot the little one don't and they not little ones because some guys that's a trophy to them but mm-hmm. don't shoot the two and a half and three and a half year old deer and telling somebody in pennsylvania not to shoot a three and a half year old deer that doesn't go over real well you know like mm-hmm. you, what do you mean well the neighbor will get him was you know that's that's the yeah. way that it goes you mm-hmm. know and and you know he's never going to have a chance if, if you're going to whack him and you're never going to have a chance to shoot a a really big one. You might get lucky, right? You know, and it's the first year that came out one year, but you got to let those, uh, you got to let those ones grow. I think that's, that's first and foremost. And Pennsylvania, you know, I have Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky. Um, and it's interesting from Pennsylvania finally put in an antler restriction, which has helped immensely. Um, which is, which is really good. You can only shoot one buck in Pennsylvania, um, Ohio and Kentucky. They do a good job of managing their, their buck to dough ratio. Um, Pennsylvania really struggles with that. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that, you know, next, unless you wanted to, to anybody want to say anything about not shooting the little ones before I moved on to my, my next point in management, Kyle,
2: um, Wisconsin, I think Minnesota struggled with that same two and a half, three and mm-hmm. a half shoot them all. If it's brown, it's down and neighbor's going to shoot it. If I don't like, we struggle with that management also. Yeah. But something I implemented on my land as a personal rule is each year, the deer has to generally get bigger until I'm shooting five and a half year old deer. So I shot a hundred inch two year old and I'm like, Hey, don't shoot two year olds. Cause you're never going to get them bigger. But I also want to have a successful year. I want to have a good year tag out. I want that success each year. But my personal setup or my personal goal is every year the deer gets bigger. So if a deer comes in that is about the same size as last year's, he's going to get the pass. And hopefully that generally gets the age up there. Once I'm shooting five-and-a-half-year-old deer, if I ever get to that point,
0: mm-hmm.
2: then then the antler size, and, you know, once they're five-and-a-half, all right, now it's kind of just have fun. But we can yeah. shoot two, two bucks, one with the rifle, one with the bow. So, okay. so that's just how what I'm doing on mine.
1: As yeah. far as
2: yeah. limiting yeah.
1: my age class yeah and and, and, that, and a lot of guys don't even know how like in pennsylvania if i told them you know don't and i'll be honest i shoot four i'll shoot a four and a half you know that's kind of my goal in pennsylvania that's that's a big buck um the buck i shot this year was a five and a half year old deer but I would have pasted him last year if I had the chance, but (laughs) fortunately I didn't. So he made it through and he grew about 20 inches from a shed too. Um, But, you know, here, you know, just telling people, you know, for me, it's, it's, I'll I'll shoot 120 inch, four and a half year old deer. It's more about the age to me than it is even the rack. Um, You know, we all like a, a big rack and stuff But if I saw 140 inch, three and a half year old, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him go, you know, I'll shoot 120 inch four and a half or five and a half year old deer over that all day long. And that's kind of, that's just kind of the evolution of a hunter. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, it, you, you just know when you start chasing that age class of a buck, I mean, you're matching what's with the smartest animal in the woods at that point. You know, he didn't, he didn't get to four and a half or five and a half in Pennsylvania by not being smart, you know? And, and right. so, so yeah, so I, I'd agree with you on all those points. So.
0: Yeah. It's, it's super frustrating. Event? up here because 90 percent of the bucks in the state of minnesota are two and a half and under and yeah it's it's always if it's got antlers shoot it. if it's browns it's down you can't eat the antlers antlers don't make good chili well
1: yeah
2: shoot
0: you get a lot out. more deer off a big you get a lot more meat <laughs> off a big deer than a small deer
1: yeah but. and people people that say that i mean i don't i don't argue with them because it's like oh you can't eat the antlers i shot it for the meat well whack a doe you can get six doe tags right like no, i mean we, do can't. we really need to shoot a of uh one and a half, two and a half year old, six point that Mm -hmm. just to say, you know, but again, like we, as hunters, we rip each other apart. And I think it's more of a a state legislature issue that, that, you know, putting antler restrictions in helps, um, Mm -hmm. you know, managing that doe buck ratio, um, you know, hunter education on those kinds of things certainly helps. Cause obviously some States do it a lot better than other States. (laughs) And Minnesota is similar to Pennsylvania and New York. I mean, man, guys are just, "I I want to get something with a horn on it. It's like, good grief, you know? Yep. And, and so, so anyway, I don't, I don't belittle my fellow hunter because as long as they're obeying the law and doing what they said now, if they whine and complain to me, then, then I let them know, but yeah. I'm not going to go. You were happy shooting that buck. But one thing I hate and they see it in social media. Well, oh, I thought he was bigger. Well then, man, you weren't, you know, like, like, why did you shoot him? Right? Like, yep. if you're not, I don't care. You better be pumped. You better tell me that your leg was shaking when you shot that deer or I'm going to have an issue with it then, yeah, right? You yeah. know, why, did you, why did you need to shoot him then? Let him go. But, um, again, we can talk about that kind of stuff all day. But, um, you know, I guess unless you had anything else, I'll talk a little bit about my doe management practices, yeah. number two. So, so we were talking management, and we talked a little bit about this before the show. And I get that question all the time here in the Northeast, and, and I'm a firm believer. You know, one year I went into my property, and we shot, like, 15 does, right? And I'm like, okay, we're going to try this. I think there were more does the next year. I mean, we had the food and and, and I think until the state, right? Like Pennsylvania has a lot of issues right now because there's a lot of private ground, right? You know, everybody piles up, there's nothing left on the public land and the private ground people aren't shooting enough, right? And that's where all the food is too. So it's just holding these massive deer herds until they figure out some way to get that in check. For me to go in there and just, you know, I'm burning stands, right? I'm burning plots, whacking does left and right, trying to get, and it was like a, a, a never-ending battle. So when I consult with most guys, that's one of the biggest questions I get: how many does I take? for me, I don't think I'd worry about it. You know, like take what you want, hunt the plots smart, hunt the ones that have a little impact on the property where you can take those. Mm-hmm. Don't take a doe back in your rut plot where, you know, you, you know, next to the bedding area, be smart about it, but man, you know, take what you need for food, but to say, Hey, you need to shoot, you know, you have a hundred acres and you need to shoot 14 does off here. Well, good luck. Cause if you got the food, they're just going to move in then the next mm-hmm. year. Again, my personal opinion on it, but that's kind of where I'm at just in that. I think it's more of a, a state, statewide approach that they have to come up with of, of managing those herds and keeping them in check.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it sounds like Pennsylvania is not too keen on from a state level like Minnesota and Wisconsin. It's like, well, you guys are kind of on your own. Good luck. Have fun.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, you yeah. do have an APR, and it, and it, which is huge. Uh, I yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with them. Uh, I, yeah. I, I hate that if a young buck qualifies for an APR, he gets shot. You know, because when you're you, saying
1: APR antler restriction,
0: yeah, antler point restriction. Oh,
1: yeah. antler, okay. All right, yeah. I've never heard that said that yeah. way before. All right, different terminology yep. in different yep.
0: states, but yeah. Uh, so, no, like, it'll be four points on one side, right? Is yep. typical what we see here, and then you get a yearling eight pointer. Well, it's got four points on one side, but it's a year and a half old, and you just shot the best yep. genetic deer on your property. Yeah, Unfortunately, I, I,
1: I will say this. I will say this about it, though. It's helped immensely here because, you know, I don't know. Are high power rifles legal in, in Minnesota? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So same in Pennsylvania. And before it was, you saw an antler. You just you just shot and, and killed it. And then you would sort it out later. You get a deer running across the field now and it has to have three up top and a brow time. It's real hard putting a brow time on on an eight point when they're running across the field. Right. Oh, you know, yeah, for and, sure. And so, so it's, it's, you're right. a hundred percent, you know, in, in last year, you know, in my area, it's, it's four on one side and I had a five and a half year old six. He just didn't have brow times. He was a stud. <laughs> I mean, a stud and, and he yep. needed to be shot, but I mean, you couldn't. So, you know, there it comes and that's yeah. rare, right? That, yeah. It, it definitely, the benefits of it definitely outweigh the negatives and help because since they, it's been in, I, you know, me personally, I've been seeing and shooting big deer consistently. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't the case, you know, like it, it just wasn't before. So they definitely help. Is it perfect? No, but it, it definitely helps.
2: Yeah,
0: I think uh, it'd be a great thing to implement across the state of Minnesota, but you'll never get it to happen. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in, that stinks.
2: In one of our podcasts, me and Dylan played uh what, what was it? DNR Commissioner?
0: Yeah. Um, what would we do if we were a commissioner of our and we DNR we or some, fish and wildlife.
2: We had some crazy, crazy ideas. I had an antler restriction for three years. And then after that, it gets taken away and, and blah, blah, blah. And we played that game. And it was a really fun podcast to, like, dream about how we would manage our deer herd. But what what do you think of Pennsylvania as far as they did a antler restriction? Um, what about their management practices like is there anything you dislike or or
1: do like um don't you know i i don't want to bash crossbows i'm an archery guy i'm a bow guy and and crossbows are really big and i feel overall it's good for the hunting industry because it's getting more people involved so i don't i don't want to bash my fellow hunters crossbows are legal the whole archery season i'd like to see them have a week or two in archery just because Mm -hmm. i'm afraid of archery season going away like it's just easier for kids to pick up a crossbow and and that's just my own selfish reasons i think we also know i mean i don't know if you guys agree but but shooting a bow requires a lot of work requires a lot of practice i can pick a crossbow up shoot it once and go out and kill a deer at 60 70 yards you know just no problem you know so it's more of, I don't want to see the sport of of archery go away. And Mm -hmm. that's one of my fears. So I'd like to see that. That's, that's a big one for me kind of, but I'd never, I never bash my crossbow hunter. I'm like, Hey, that, that's between me and the state of Pennsylvania, you know, and and that's where I'll take that too. We have some things, you know, as far as deer, the the biggest issue, and I don't know what the solution is. Like I said, they, we, they do, they look at each County and they give doe tags based on the deer population. I live in a high deer density, but most all of my county is um, private land, and it's owned by a family. They're not going to shoot the amount of does that they need to shoot off their property. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the solution is um, to to do with that. Because if, if the private landowners say, "Well, I'm just I'm not shooting that many deer," what are you going to do, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the solution is. Now the thing I do believe is, like, I have some leases. Like I'd love to see them say, "Hey." On these leases we're going to give you a whole bunch of of tags right like you could you can have because i have a bunch of ground i can only shoot so many does but mm-hmm. like man i might go on this particular lease but they do it for landowners that have farm but unless you have farmland you can't get extra dough tags or anything like that so i think if they came out and said hey you own you know 250 acres we're going to give you you know 14 doe tags this year you Mm -hmm. know we encourage you to shoot that many you know i don't know the answer exactly but i know the big issue is private land they're giving out all these tags but the majority of hunters are on public land and they're getting waylaid and then on private that's just where all the deer are at and it's just way overpopulated
0: i can tell you what Minnesota's solution would be what import wolves that's what they did it's
1: no good. Yep. I don't I do not want that in Pennsylvania at <laughs> all. <laughs> we got guys who used
0: to be able to see twenty, thirty deer a sit. They had good deer activity. And now they're lucky they say two see two deer all season. They'll see more wolves than they yeah. see all season. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: That's crazy. I, I can't imagine. I know in Wisconsin I hunt I've hunt near uh is it Portage? You guys know where Portages, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. the the Dells I've hunted down there numerous times, had some great hunts. Um, but he complains about the, I can't imagine having them having wolves. I mean, we got coyotes, but that's nothing like wolves. No, not at all. But I, I will tell you one of my big gripes and this one, I won't, it's such a hot topic. Um, there's two things. The trespassing laws in Pennsylvania are absolutely asinine. I mean, you got to have purple paint on the trees, posted signs on every trees, you know, like the, like, like I know in Wisconsin, it's a $2,000 fine, right? Like you get right. caught in somebody, you don't have to post. So we deal with trespassing all the time and, and oh, you didn't have that side marked well enough. And they, they get a warning, right? And then if you can now cell cams have been tremendously beneficial. I, I, right. I've caught a bunch of guys, but like the trespassing laws in Pennsylvania are just absolutely atrocious. Like they drive me bonkers. It's like, it's like, it's my land. What's the difference to him going on my land or going in my house? Right. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's private property. Like you just can't do. And, and it's cause it's always been that way. Right. And change is hard. Nobody wants to change. And the other big thing that really leads it to us, is we have, you know, I work all year long and creating sanctuaries, right. Create sanctuaries for these deer, dog hunters, you know, like mm-hmm. dog, dog, coyote dogs, rabbit dogs, you know, oh my dog went over there, you know, it's like, and it's just like, man, you know, like you got to go somewhere where you can't worry about, you know, they'll hunt on a five acre piece right beside my ground, knowing that their dogs are going to go over there yep. and they can go get them. And, and it's frustrating as a, and I don't know what the answer, cause I feel bad for those guys. Right. Like, cause you know, they love dog hunters are passionate and I understand I mm-hmm. used to rabbit hunt and I loved it too, but times are just different. It's like, Hey, I know that's great rabbit. Ter- but You got to go game lands. There's a million mm-hmm. acres of game lands, like for you to run your dogs. I know you want to do it here because there's lots of rabbits, but you got to keep in mind, I work hard all year long mm-hmm. to manage this, to leave sanctuaries for the deer. You can't come in there with eight dogs and 14 guys that then cruise through. And it just ruined everything that I've worked so hard for. So there's things like that in Pennsylvania that just drive me bonkers.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. so I've and hunted I've hunted coyotes with hounds uh, yeah. quite a bit when I was younger. We did it for four or five years and it's a blast. But yeah. the the technology is so advanced. You have GPS collars. It's so simple to not let your dog yeah. onto somebody else's piece. You know yeah. your dog's going that way. Beep, beep, beep on the collar, and the dog turns and runs back to you. There's no excuse anymore yeah. for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it's hard because I know guys who are passionate dog hunters, and I, and it's getting harder and harder for them. Right. You mm-hmm. know, there's less and less area but i mean at the same time i'm trying to make a living i'm trying to do things on my ground to manage it a certain way and and i'm sorry but like your needs and wants don't outweigh mine and and that's just how it is and you know like i said we got a million acres of public ground it's, you got to go there and run your dogs where you don't have to worry about them going across you know you know Property unless it's lines. a big piece of public or private do you have permission but yeah man it's hard and it tears hunters apart and it sucks you know and and i think we've all seen that where you know i used to be able to go hunt wherever i wanted right i'd grab my gun after school and run up over the hill there was nothing was posted it's just different now you know Mm -hmm. and it's just not the way that it was so yeah
2: yeah and i as far as as far as like running dogs and coyotes and bobcats and i don't know what the answer is but you you're responsible for your dogs and yeah and it's i agree with you it's my property i pay taxes on it my name's on it whether it's dogs or just purely trespassers everybody has on gps a plat book you should be confident on where you're standing yeah now if you're my neighbor and you're 10 feet off the property line we might have rah, rah, get off my land. but that's different than you walking through my 94 acres which you know, it's there. Like you yeah. should be aware of where you're standing at that point. And yeah, the I, I'm the fines are, I'm, I don't even know what the trespassing fines are, but um, I know during this last rifle season, I had boot tracks through my property. They would pull up to where you can park at my property off the highway and they walked in and I'm like, what are you doing? And you know, walking straight towards the sanctuary another hundred yards, they were going to punch through my bedding area. And I'm like, yeah get out get out Mm of here why what are you doing so yeah yeah uh, it is
0: minnesota's sounds like it's a little easier on the trespass law. like i don't know what the fine is but last time i checked if you put one sign up on your piece the whole piece is posted
1: yeah yeah to me to me i'm to the point like wisconsin you don't even have to post you unless you have permission to be on their property then that's it that's that's as it's as easy let's be done with the purple paint the posted signs all of it just you, like you said you got honest you got hunt stand mm-hmm. you got whatever it is hunt, what hunt wise like you yep. can see the lines if, if you don't know where you're at then get out of there that's just yep. how it is you know and 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 I think it'll eventually catch up because enough people are getting frustrated and dealing with stuff and 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 it is unfortunate but it's just it's just different now like like you said we work hard at doing this stuff you just can't come strolling through here. It's all the hard work I did was out the door. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. But. Anything
0: else, Dylan? Uh, we're kind of running out of time to start anything big and exciting. Uh, we're just over an hour here, which is always good. Uh, but, yep. Jason, if you got anything you want to plug, I know you got your Field Days podcast and uh, your Wired Outdoors YouTube channel. And then yep. Kyle whispered to me a little bit about an all-in documentary, if you want to
1: yeah. speak yep. on any of that. Yeah, so uh so I I shot a big buck this year in PA. Gonna be the second biggest typical buck shot in my county. Ended up scoring 165 inches um just to chase them for 2 years It was a heck of a story. Ended up hitting him the first day of archery season. Didn't get him sat 70 times for him through archery season. Morning night, morning night. Um, ended up killing them the third day of rifle season. Um, but I had a documentary company approach me and I've been producing outdoor videos for 15 years with wired outdoors, but our videos are hello and welcome. And here's what we're doing. We kill a deer, we recover it, you know, like Mm -hmm. streaming videos, you know, 10, 15 minutes at most. And they said, hey, you know, this is a heck of a story. And, and would you like to do a documentary? And I'm like, well, yeah, man, I, if I'm ever gonna do it, it's gonna be this buck. So it was quite an experience. We, we did a showing of it. And the way it was really set up, um, we set it up. I started Wired Outdoors. I left a, a great job. I was making six figures. I was the director of marketing and strategic planning in the health system. My wife was eight and a half months pregnant. We just built a new house. I went home. I said, honey, I'm gonna hunt for a living. We're moving. And this was at the height of when everybody was starting a TV show, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to be the next Michael Waddell and all this. And and that wasn't my goal, but I'm like, man, if I can hunt for a living, I'm sure as heck, I'm going to roll the dice. Left a great job. And it sucked. Four years, I didn't make a dime. I mean, I struggled, you Mm -hmm. know, and and, uh, we almost declared bankruptcy and we kind of go through that story, you know, of and my wife, she's great in it. She tells what a horrible person I was for making her leave her family and (laughs) follow my dreams. But, you know, four years into it, things just started to roll, you know, and I'm fortunate. I have the best sponsors in the industry. I have Matthews, Rage, uh, Hunter Safety System, uh, Whitetail Institute, uh, you know, Hooey Man, uh, you know, just, I got the best in the industry. They're top line category and it just, Kind of started to flow. So it's kind of a two part, we talk about that, but then really how that stubborn persistence in my Business life paid off with this buck because I just I wouldn't quit on him, man. I just I hunted and I hunted and I hunted and and I finally got him. So it's uh it's it's been getting great reviews. We we had a private showing of it to about 120 people the other night, and it's going to be released. We're we're talking to we don't we're not sure it's a minimum going to be on the Wired Outdoors Roku channel. We have a Roku channel and our YouTube channel, um, but we're also talking to some other platforms to see where all we can get it and stuff. But I'm excited about it. it's an hour and 15 minutes long and. It's uh, it's it's a documentary. It's not like your typical hunting show. And, and I think my goal, too, when I made it was that um, any woman who didn't hunt would sit down and watch it from the beginning to the end. And based on the reviews, I just posted a, a post on my personal page the other day, just taking some of the snippets of reviews. That's kind of come out you know i talked about housewives who never hunted were bawling their eyes out when i shot the deer and, and things like that so it's pretty emotional but it's uh i'm excited about it. i appreciate you guys let me uh let me plug it too but it's going to be coming out it's probably going to be coming out in october sometime and and we'll be making an announcement in the summer what platforms it's going to be on and all that good stuff but i'm um, really excited about it something different and I, I hope when you guys see it you like it too
0: yeah it sounds awesome i look forward to watching
2: it Um, i'm excited and and a great thing about it is me and my wife can sit down she is not a hunter she she lets me hang the deer on the wall but she does she she's helped me gut deer but she has her limits but it sounds like something that she would enjoy watching too so i I look forward to that and um if it comes out in october it'll be right about the time dylan finishes our deer hunts from this last year and we'll be able to post them
0: (laughs) you gotta (laughs) mail me one of them first You still gotta mail that to me, and I should just be really well, quick now and get it done this week, so that it's done yeah. before this podcast gets posted
1: <laughs> well i'll let you, I'll let you guys work that out amongst yourselves <laughs> yeah,
2: we'll, 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 we'll sign off before we get into that, yeah but Jason yeah. seriously, thank you for joining this little podcast that has a couple followers on YouTube and two thousand followers on facebook um I I greatly appreciate you saying yes to joining us. And I, I I could pick your brain for five days straight. But yeah. Um, but also thank you for your Field Days podcast. Anybody that ha- wants to hear Jason talk more about this stuff with with more experts, not just me and Dylan Yahoo's. Um, I don't even know how many episodes you have. Fifty. 50 episodes
1: it's we're up we're in the fourth season and we do 14 a year so what's 14 times three so yeah so whatever that is too much math for me (laughs) um
2: but thank you for that It, it passes the time at work for me to listen to that and 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 learn so a lot of this stuff that we talked about tonight i'm learning from your podcast um and then i've been catching up on the wired outdoors i just seen it has the tabs for 15 seasons uh, yep. So there's a ton of content if anybody that's listening to ours wants to get over there and hasn't already get over there and look at everything Jason's done. And along with in October, at some point, the all in documentary. Um, I'm super excited for that. And again, thank you for joining our little podcast. It's, it's uh, been a pleasure. So, yeah,
1: no, I had a great time. I, I appreciate you guys having me. We'll do it again sometime.
2: Yeah, Sounds- you have an open invitation to join us anytime you'd like. All
1: right. Well, you guys just let me know, so let me know.
0: Sounds great. I'm going to do our little outro here, and then we'll uh, chat for a few more minutes before you hang up. So, uh, yeah, you guys heard it here first. You can – well, not first, but you heard it here. You can find Jason, say, uh, on his Field Days podcast, soon his all-in documentary, Wired Outdoors on YouTube and Facebook. And you got that great big Facebook group. And what was that again?
1: It was uh, Food Plots for Whitetail.
0: Food Plots for Whitetail on Facebook. Uh, You can find Lessons of the Woods every Friday at 7 p.m. Central Time on YouTube, Facebook, and Spotify, and just anywhere else podcasts are. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.